Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Friday morning, the 3rd of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Now, the Irish Times reports uh, this morning uh, that uh, the national grid operator Airgrid is offering landowners €50,000 for each pylon that they allow on their land as it bids to complete a high-powered electricity line linking the Republic with the North. This is, of course, the much-talked-about and most controversial North-South interconnector, which they say must be completed by 2026. The paper reports uh, today that Airgrid this week wrote to landowners along the route in counties Meath, Cavan and Monaghan, offering them €50,000 for each pylon built on their land, with a total bill approaching €20 million for the near 400 properties involved. Barry O'Halloran's report says that this is going to amount to €40 million and that Airgrid would not comment on individual compensation deals to the Irish Times, but a sample offer shows a figure of 48,000 for 300 metres of power lines running over an individual property. That is €160 per metre. The €50,000 pylon payment and lawyer's fees bring that total then to €110,800. Porrick O'Reilly, spokesperson with the campaign group against this project going overground and using pylons. The North East Pylon Pressure Campaign Group is on the line. Good morning to you, Porrick. Thanks for joining us as always on the programme this morning. Uh, I take it uh, that uh, this is not much of a, a surprise to you, but uh, were you expecting it this morning? Uh, good morning, Michael. Um, no, it was not much of a surprise. It's It's been a long time coming, uh, to be honest. Um, so, in many ways, it's good that at last Airgrid have, have played their hand. Um, the letter itself, in our view, uh, doesn't really bring up anything new uh, in terms of what they said they would do. They were going to offer compensation. Um, it doesn't change a thing on the ground in any way, shape or form. 
if this project was about compensation, uh, it would be over a long time ago. It's not about that. Uh, it's about the uh, the health impacts of living close to them, the impact on, on, on property and land evaluation and, and, and local environment. Um, yeah, so have those concerns not been addressed? Sorry, Michael? Uh, have those concerns not been addressed? Do you still have uh, concerns about implications on public health? Absolutely, absolutely. They have never been addressed uh, and neither have any of the issues around... Uh, 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 devaluation of property, uh, you know, the landscape, the environment, heritage, all the rivers it crosses. These things were just ignored in, in the various planning uh, consultations and, and, and applications, and none of them have gone away. And am I right uh, in thinking it's not just... It is, I'm sorry, Patrick, for cutting across. Am I right in thinking that it's not just public health that people have concern about? It's also animal welfare. Yeah, exactly. Both, both human and animal welfare... And, um, you know, nothing in, in this area has been uh, addressed or admitted ever by AirGrid. So the fundamentals of the ob- objections to the project, the fact that they pick, uh, picked a line, uh, you know, as straight a line as possible to run through and very close to many people's houses uh, and, and some of our nicest parts of our countryside, uh, those fundamental arrogant mistakes that were made on day one are not changed by a, a, an offer of, of paltry compensation uh, compared to the impact it would have on, a, on any individual. Okay, and you've seen these letters and you've heard from people who've received these letters. Are you hearing from people who are saying you can keep your 50,000 or your 100,000 or your 150,000? Well, there'll be a lot stronger response than, than, than a comment like that. I mean, the first thing uh, I'd like to say, uh, Michael, is that the, you know, any PPC have engaged professional and legal advice on this matter. Uh, we will be responding very directly to AirGrid on this. Um, secondly, for anyone who looks at the letter, even in a cursory manner, it's without prejudice, which means it's, it's, it's meaningless. It's a vo- voluntary offer and uh, there's actually no, there's no strength behind it because the approach has been taken shows that AirGrid has no statutory authority to proceed with the line. They may have planning approval, but they have no statutory authority. So from reading this letter, uh, rather than a, a letter of compensation, it's a letter of desperation as, as we see it from them. Mm. And unless and until there is uh, support from each and every individual landowner for this to go ahead, which there absolutely is not, the project is dead on the ground. Uh, I'm sure there's some people uh, who are not in a position, though, to turn up their nose to 50,000 per pylon. It's a lot of money, isn't it? It is, Michael. And and I I should say also that we respect anybody's decision uh, in in that regard. And all we will do uh, from an NEPPC perspective is give our advice and support people uh, in whichever way they want to go. But it's also fair to say that probably we started out Many years ago, we based an assumption that, and we, we said this to landowners directly, that they the could likely be offered about 100000 on this. And based on that, are they still against the project so that none of us will be wasting our time? And 85% of the people signed up saying, uh, it doesn't matter whether it's 100000 or 200000 it's not about the money. I mean, bear in mind, mm. this, 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 uh, this request from AirGrid would be for unlimited access into the yards and into the into the land of these people forever. It will be registered on the deeds of their property. Mm. 
the landowners would not be allowed to object at any stage. And Airgrid could upgrade the line. They could have access through their private entry into from the, into their houses, which some of these access routes are talking about. Uh, uh, l- 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 never mind the health issues. I, I'm, reading, I'm, I'm reading in the Irish Times that they are looking for a, a permanent right uh, of way, but yes, that's that, yes. sure, surely that doesn't mean access to people's houses. No, not to their houses, like to their to their to their entrances to their houses. Some of the access routes are requiring that they go up the avenues. To, you know, the same the same private entrance as, as the person is using into their house, right. uh, because and this is the point we made all along because. They have never looked for access uh, during the planning application through 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 the obvious ways through, because we require development. So they're now asking to go through. In many cases, not in all, but in many cases, the private entrances uh, into in towards uh, alongside people people's houses forever and a day. Hmm. I mean, it's just it's just a joke, really, if they think that there's any chance of this being accepted by by the majority of the people. You believe that eighty five percent of landowners opposed to having pylons on their land will hold. Um, that's that that's that's our understanding. You know whether whether fifty thousand changes that to eighty percent, or whether it even increases it to ninety percent, depending on 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 now what's being what's being asked for in terms of mm. of of access forever. It's a much stronger request for for easement, uh, but it's going to be by far and away the majority of people. Uh, so we don't have any concerns on on this offer or this letter being made. And as I say, we, we're taking professional legal advice on how we respond to Airgrid and how we move forward on this. So that they're not wasting our time either. Because the other issue here that people often mm. forget about is there's 15 years of worry and indecision on many farms where they're not sure what they can do next based on this thing hanging over them. And that is totally unfair. And it's also uh, very, very unfair that our, our public representatives in government have not lifted a finger to try and sort this out for the past many, many years. Mm. And if I could just say, Michael, we're going to have a public meeting on the 30th of November, the 30th of November, in the Hedford Arms in Kells at 8 o'clock. We're expecting a big turnout, including many, many of the landowners. And if if they would want to know what the tone and the response to this letter is, uh, they should, they're very welcome to this meeting. Okay. I'm sure the government uh, will be equally interested because this has the backing of the government. It has the backing of the government and shame on them for allowing it to go this far when when uh, all of the people that are involved here have been offering a very uh, uh, supportive a solution of undergrounding, which Airgrid have done in, in the Kildare Mead line in the east-west interconnector and many others since this project started mm. and they've dug their heels on the ground on this one and and our our government should not have supported them to the level that they have okay and we'll be making that clear at the meeting okay i suppose it could be argued that money talks and a lot of people will look on this as an offer that they can't refuse and it's an opening offer it could increase i presume that's a possibility if nothing else. I don't think it is, Michael, but that's for Airgrid to come, but I don't mm. think it is. I think the letter really, uh, they have they yeah. played their card, they're, they're, I don't think it is. They're also offering payments to people who live within 200 metres of the line and a 12 million euro community benefit fund for local groups and sports clubs, clubs uh, who would welcome that kind of, uh, of funding. Uh, so there could be pressure there on landowners uh, as well uh, to give Airgrid access uh, and at a handsome price. Uh, and 
uh, then there's what comes next uh, because uh, they may uh, find uh, access as possible through the courts. Well, uh, to all of your points, uh, Michael, in terms of uh, support to local communities, let's let's call a spade a spade. This is actually uh, people's own money. It's, it's taxpayers' money that are giving us back. Uh, there's easier ways to do that. The second thing I would say is all of those community benefits uh, have are, are also in place for underground cables. So if they concede to going underground, the community will gain also from the community benefits that, that are being proposed by AirGrid. And that would be the proper way to go, where, where it's a win-win for everybody. Uh, but these these offers of, of compensation and proximity, etc., have been out there since 2012. And it hasn't uh, softened people's approach to not wanting this thing in their own backyard as an overhead line. Mm. So, But it, it, if Airgrid or ESB or whoever turns up with a, a court order... Um, they can't do that, Michael. They cannot do that. I mean, that that is... Uh, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but that is really, really important for all our landlords to understand. They have no statutory authority to turn up with any court order. They're looking for a voluntary agreement with farmers. They're looking if for a voluntary agreement, but you know ahead, you know that ahead. Airgrid has said that they can gain access to the lands through a court order. Uh, they have not stated that. I'd, li- I'd like to see where, where, where that is stated in black and white. Uh, they have no statutory authority to proceed with the line. Mm. Um, and we stand over that statement. And if they want to say otherwise, we'd love them to put that on the record. Okay. Well, ask them if that is uh, their intention if landowners uh, don't sign up, uh, if uh, they'll take it to the courts to get access to the lands to construct uh, these pylons. Uh, but uh, maybe you want to repeat uh, the details of uh, that meeting uh, because we are really are in the final phase of this now, it would seem. I, um, I I would say it's the final phase for Airgrid in terms of what they can do, um, uh, but it's definitely not the final phase in terms of, of, of this thing going ahead. So so the, the meeting is on Thursday the 30th of November in the Headford Arms in Kells at, at 8.30pm. Okay. Uh, we'll have more discussion on this, Parik, in between now and then, and I'm sure uh, that uh, we'll be speaking to you around that data again. And thank you indeed for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. That's Parik O'Reilly, the spokesperson with uh, the North East Pylon Pressure Campaign, the NEPP. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. You may, in fact, be one of uh, those landowners in County Meath or elsewhere, for that matter, this morning, who's been made this offer of 50000 euro per pylon on your land is it an offer that you can't refuse or are you in that 85% of landowners uh, that have told uh, the NEPPC that uh, you are not interested at any price. Let us know either way if you have thoughts on this our phone number 0419832000 that's 0419832000 indeed if you want to talk to us about any issue for that matter get in touch you can also text or WhatsApp our number to do that on is 086 1800 658 that's uh, for a text or a text through WhatsApp 086 1800 658 or email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, the Irish Independent reported uh, this week uh, that because there's a moratorium on disconnecting uh, people's power, 
there are people who are gaming the system and they're running up large bills which they've no intention of paying. This is a concern that was raised apparently by the Electricity Association of Ireland in an email to the Commission for Regulation of Utilities. They say that there are people who will never engage with their suppliers in a meaningful way and that they're gaming the protections and that they need to cut them off because the energy suppliers will only end up with a larger level of debt. Michelle Murphy is uh, the Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland and joins us. Michelle, good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. The claim the Electricity Association of Ireland is making is somewhat incredible in that it says there, there are customers who have debts of over €10,000 at this stage. Yeah, I mean, I read that, Michael, and I was surprised. I would have thought, you know, in any kind of situation where you you have a bill, I would have thought it wouldn't have gotten to the point where you'd be running up a, a debt of €10,000 that the, um, you would have been engaged with at some point. To me, that figure sounds very high. I suppose it's also unclear how many people actually have those that level of debt, you know, that certainly wasn't clear from the article. You know, is it a large number of customers that have that level of debt? Is it just a handful of customers? Because I suppose what's more worrying to us is the latest figures from the Commission on the, the Commissioner for the Regulation of Utilities shows that there was a large increase in arrears from June this year when the last moratorium ended. So you've got over 420,000 people in arrears on their uh, gas and electricity bills. So 255,000 plus on electricity, over 167,000 households in arrears on their gas. So the the fact that those numbers are going up is really concerning. And it shows that, you know, the the reduced energy prices aren't really reaching customers yet. Um, So it would be interesting to see, like... you know, how many of those cases are the large or if it's a very small proportion, then, I mean, the that association engages with the Commission for the Regulation of Utilities. You know, there, there's a process for how you might deal with that. And I would have thought that maybe they would have come up with a better solution rather than letting someone run it, run up a debt of 10,000 euros on a, either a gas or an electricity bill. OK, but what solution do they have if they can't cut them off? Yes, I suppose, well, that's something that's, I mean, they need to be engaging with the the CRU on. I know the the latest moratorium is obviously um, going to finish now. And what the Commission did find last time was that, you know, when the last energy credits finished, that they saw more households again falling into arrears. I mean, certainly there's a case if, Mm. you know, the debt is that's significant and if the the individual won't engage then there must be a process obviously for the the company to be able to stop the supply but what i did find interesting i suppose michael in the article was that the um, the electricity association of ireland said that what they were concerned about is that what will happen is that this debt will you know, make the other customers will end up paying for it. And yeah. I would have thought, mm. given the significant profits that these companies have, significant profits over the last two years, 
you know, I don't really see how that debt should be pushed back onto uh, general customers. Yeah, why not? Um, because, I mean, profit is not a, a dirty word. They're in the business of profit. They're not allowed to cut people off. They're supplying the power and somebody has to pay for it. So if the cost of providing it increases, then the cost to customers has to increase. In other words, if people are making a, a calculation that they won't be cut off, so they won't pay their bills at all or they'll fall into arrears, as the case may be, my bill is going to increase as a result and I'm going to end up paying more uh, and people who can't afford to pay their bills as it is are going to have to pay more if they're decent honest people not gaming the system and there's plenty of people like that who are in difficulty and I do think this was, it was interesting obviously this ended up in the papers I'd like to see what sort of engagement is going on between the Electricity Association of Ireland and the, the CRU around this because I mean you don't run up a bill of €10,000 overnight you know that's a long period of time that that, that, that bill has racked up so mm. you know what what's what's the problem then in you know why is it that either you can't the, the supply can't be cut up or what what is it be, you know in terms of the regulations and the legislation that, that's kind of causing this issue and where is the gaming coming from i mean certainly i mean there's profit is not a dirty word but you know your profits are there also you can use those profits to uh, you know to absorb some other costs elsewhere you know, if, if wages increase, for example, those are, you know, so it's not, nece- they don't necessarily have to put that cost back onto the other customers because it is unclear, you know, is it four cases, five cases, is it a hundred of these cases, 200, mm. who knows. Yeah. But what, I suppose what the point you do make, Michael, which is, you know, which is very valid, is I suppose this distracts, I mean, there's certainly a case, I mean, for some Households racking up bills of ten thousand euros of unpaid, you know, gas, electricity. I mean, there has to be something that the CRU can do in that respect, because what that distracts from, and I would say, you know, there seem to be a very small number of high impact cases, what they call them. But what about the other four hundred and twenty thousand, you know, groups in arrears, and how do you support them to continue on repayment plans? Yeah. and make sure that they don't fall further into arrears. I suppose that yeah. that's the group, group that concerns us. There's certainly a case for those large debts. I mean, there has to be some way for the company to either be able to accrue that back or look at how the electricity is supplied. But more concerning for us is that these figures relate to June and there was a big increase after the last electricity credit finished. And what's the long-term plan for that group so they don't fall into becoming high-impact cases? Mm, And what I don't understand is how or why people don't pay anything at all or how they let their uh, debts uh, get uh, as high as this article would indicate is uh, the situation with some people. We don't know how many people, uh, as you say, but we all got €600 Euro off the government last year to mm-hmm. help us pay our bills. We're to get €450 Euro next year. Uh, and the cuts in prices uh, announced uh, in uh, the last couple of days will result in lower bills, bills uh, that will be 200 maybe 300 uh, less over the course of the next year. Yes, and so that, so that is, there, there has to, to be, we, there certainly needs to be some change to how the system works to, to stop this happening so that you can't, you know, particularly in terms of the utility, that these very enormous debts are not racked up because clearly these debts aren't related to, well, they, I'm sure they can't really be related to direct debit bills then, 
you know, or so it's who are the people? How did it get to be so high? And you know, there if the, you know, and if this is becoming a trend, and it's unclear, it's unclear the numbers, but there we have to be able to come up with, or the CRU has to be able to come up with, you know, some way to deal with this either through MABs. Obviously, the companies are saying they're not engaging, or that, that you know these high impact customers do not want to engage in any way, shape, or form. So there has to be some issue you know, some process there. But then in the bigger picture, you would hope that for those households in arrears, the lower energy costs will have a a benefit for them. And I suppose in the long term, to reduce energy costs, we need to be, you know, ramping up our renewable energy supply because then we would actually have control over our own price of energy. And that should bring that number of households down as well. Because what's it concerning, Michael, you know, You know, yesterday was the first day I saw frost on the car. We're getting into the colder period again. Yeah. If we're already in 423,000 households in arrears, it's only going to increase over the winter. Yeah, uh, well, it, it should be a bit easier because of uh, the reductions. Uh, we're, mm-hmm. we, we've cuts of between 10 and 15.5% uh, just uh, announced this week. But is that enough? Because wholesale prices have actually fallen by 61% over the course of the year. Yes, and I suppose that's the thing. You see the big difference in terms of the drop in wholesale prices and what's been passed on to consumers. And I suppose consumers are far more aware of that now too. And you'd like to see more of the wholesale price decrease passed on. Uh, the same in oil prices, you know, for people filling up their oil tanks now, you know, older people looking at heating their home for the winter. They're not getting the discount that they would expect when they look at the drop in the wholesale prices. And I know government is looking at that and they... They're looking at the, um, you know, I suppose the the, the um, tariff on energy profits mm. that's being done at EU level. But that's only a drop in, you know, it's a very, not a huge amount of money. What you're looking at is between three and 400 million euro, which isn't enormous, mm. you know, looking at the, the context of energy prices. And I think... The, it's something that, they, that we need to be, I suppose, mindful of. If the, there's very large drops in the cost of buying wholesale energy, then there has to be a means of passing those price reductions onto the consumer more quickly. Because any of your listeners who've tried to even, and I find this myself, when you're trying to switch, you know, you're told to switch yeah. to get the best energy prices. But even the discounts available to switch it now, they're very limited. And it's the tariff price, really, that doesn't, the unit price, there isn't very much difference between the companies. And I suppose that's concerning because you're not getting, I suppose, the benefits that you would have seen a couple of years ago in terms of switching. And that's what everyone's told to do. Well, hopefully these lower prices will help people to meet the bills, but uh, if they still find it difficult or if they're not able to pay their bills, they may find themselves cut off. Uh, At least that's the impression you get reading uh, about emails to the Department of the Environment uh, and the CRU uh, saying that there should be a slightly shorter duration for the disconnection moratorium uh, this year. Yes, um, and it, it, it's unclear whether the government will make any changes to that. I doubt that they will, realistically. Um, it wasn't a very, it's not a very long moratorium. I don't think they're going to make any changes. I think even just looking at that from a political perspective, you know, next year there's local elections, there's European elections. I don't think, that, you know, they'll be looking to make any huge changes to that. But I suppose in the long run, the problem for government is, and for I suppose policymakers is, this energy arrears and energy costs are going to be an, an issue into the longer term now. And how is that we deal with it? Because we can't yeah. just have, you know, part moratoriums year on year, 
and you know the cases number of people in arrears going up it might drop slightly when there's an energy credit but then it goes up again I mean that's not a, a you know a long term plan for dealing with this so it's you know I think it's an issue that we are going to have to grapple with more deeply and certainly government are going to have to look at a different way of dealing it rather mm. than moratoria and energy credits. Yeah, well, I'm sure there's uh, something in what you said about the election coming up and I'm sure that some people uh, who don't pay or won't pay will be looking for moratoriums and the like. Others, though, will undoubtedly be looking to politicians saying, I don't want to be paying their bills for them. And Yes, absolutely. Um, but I suppose... It depends. You know, it'd be equally interesting if the, um, you know, the uh, Electricity or Energy Association of Ireland could, you know, if, if the, you know, they say it's going to be passed on to customers, well, then how much of it is passed on to customers and how much does that impact on your unit price, for example? Where does it impact on the customer? How much is it? I mean, those are the kind of things that, you know, would, I suppose, help inform us about bills. But, it, you know, it's one thing, I suppose, to make a case in a letter. It's another thing, I suppose, to see the data behind it, the numbers, mm-hmm. where those customers are, what their usage is. You know, there's the, a the, you know, whole other element to this. And then what, given the number of electricity, co- I suppose, the customers the company has, you know, how is it they're going to spread that €10,000 debt and how many ten thousand euro debts is it? How they're going to, you know, how they plan then on spreading it out across everybody's bills if that is what they're going to do. Okay, uh, we'll leave it there for the moment, uh, Michelle. But thank you indeed, as always, for joining us on the program, Michelle Murphy, Hi. research and policy analyst with Social Justice Ireland. A text from somebody who says, "I'm with Electric Ireland, and currently I'm in arrears, but not by a massive amount." They said that I could get a better tariff, but they can't give it to me unless the arrears are paid. Is that right? Uh, says, uh, or asks our caller. I imagine it is uh, the case. Uh, but thank you indeed uh, for bringing that to our attention. Our phone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to a, an interesting question uh, from somebody texting us uh, this morning about this €50,000 that Airgrid will be offering to landowners for each pylon that uh, they permit to be constructed on their land. Will it be tax-free? Uh, will landowners have to pay tax on this 50000 asks our texter. Uh, the quick, simple answer to that, uh, as far as, uh, or as best as I can do, is I don't know uh, at the moment. Uh, but we are working on that. Uh, since uh, you texted it, uh, we are in touch with Airgrid, uh, trying to get clarity on that and hope to bring you uh, a response. Uh, at some stage uh, this morning, a couple of people in touch with us, actually, about the North-South Interconnector. Teresa Ward says, I'm living along the proposed corridor for Egrid's proposed pylons and I will pass under the lines of at least two pylons every day. I will have three of them in my vision from my home should they go ahead. I live on the banks of the Black Water in the Gaeltacht area of Bolia Gibb in the historic area of Taltum. We are still as adamant, strong, united in our objection to these pylons and will continue to insist they are placed underground. We need all of your support, everyone out there who may have forgotten. This affects everyone who ever visits or passes through Bolia Gibb. Our football pitches and our Wolf Tone players, 
I think it is, or is it both tone players? Mentors, parents who will drive under these lines and see the proposed pylons from the pitch. The local drive-in bingo, to mention just uh, a couple. Thank you indeed, Teresa Ward, for your message, for your WhatsApp message. Andrew and Trim, thank you too for your WhatsApp message. Andrew says, fair play to Porrick for the work he's putting in on the pilot issue. The government has shown over the last number of years that it doesn't give a damn about rural areas and their communities. So they will tell the public to look after their health in numerous adverts regarding smoking, drinking, drug abuse, etc. At the same time, they ignored the very real danger to people's health posed by these power lines. Airgrid just wants to buy off farmers knowing that some are already in or are going to be in financial difficulty due to government regulations which will impact their livelihood. Typical behaviour by a greedy company and a government that just doesn't care about the countryside and its residents. That's Andrew's view. Andrew is in trim. Uh, And thank you, Andrew, uh, for your WhatsApp message to us uh, this morning. Our number 0861800658. Now, there's a a long statement that has come to us from Airgrid, which I think would argue the point with our two callers. Uh, And they talk about the importance of this infrastructure and indeed how they will be compensating not just landowners, but community projects, a fund of €12 million euro, uh, to uh, make sure that there's a community benefit fund of €120,000 per kilometre. That's the €12 million, €40 million in compensation for the £50,000 uh, per um, pylon that is erected. And uh, they say that they've uh, been consulting with uh, people writing directly to almost 400 landowners in relation to hosting infrastructure for this strategic infrastructure project that they say across the three counties of Mead, Cavan and Monham. Anyway, uh, you may have different uh, opinions. Uh, We'll be asking uh, politicians, including government politicians, to talk about this on Monday's programme because I'm sure I don't have to tell you if uh, you're on uh, the proposed route that... Uh, you were promised by the government parties, at least uh, the Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael parties, that this would not happen over ground. At least that's what the local politicians said. Uh, and now both parties have endorsed this project. They've signed off on it. Uh, and I know that that's seen as a broken promise by a, a lot of people who are very disappointed with uh, the situation and how it's uh, been allowed to continue. As Porik said earlier, there's a, a meeting. I think that's going to be a big meeting on the 30th of uh, this month. Uh, we'll be hearing much more about that. We'll return to it, as I say, uh, on Monday's programme. We'll be asking uh, the local politicians in County Meath, the government politicians, that is, in County Meath, uh, if they wish to make comment about this, uh, because this is the reality of the government situation. This is the end game, if you like, an offer you can't refuse, uh, as Andrew pointed out. Uh, that's the way some people are going to have to look on this, uh, and there will be some upset. If you'd like to make comment, our phone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. As you've been hearing, the number of people who have been killed in Gaza is nearing 9,000. Close to 4,000 of those who have been killed are children. In both Israel and Gaza, 70 
70% of those killed are women and children. More than 21,000 are injured and more than 1.4 million people in Gaza have been displaced. The situation on the ground in Gaza is indescribable. Hospitals crammed with the injured lying in corridors, morgues overflowing, doctors performing surgery without anesthesia, thousands of people seeking shelter from the bombardment, families crammed into overcrowded schools desperate for food and water, toilets overflowing and the risk of disease outbreaks spreading, and everywhere fear, death, destruction, loss. Mm. Dr. Tedros Adhanam Ghebreyesus, uh, the Director General of uh, the World Health Organization, speaking yesterday. The WHO has many concerns about what is going on in uh, the Middle East, where it's not just civilians or members of Hamas who are coming under fire. Health workers, too, are getting caught up in this conflict. So far, WHO has verified 237 attacks on health care, including 218 in the occupied Palestinian territory and 19 in Israel. Attacks on health care are a violation of international humanitarian law. 14 out of 36 hospitals in the Gaza Strip are non-functional. However, functionality is affected by lack of food and clean water and the lack of fuel to power generators. The challenges for medics dealing with the sick and injured in Gaza are unprecedented. As health needs soar, our ability to meet those needs is plummeting. 23 hospitals have been ordered to evacuate in Gaza City and North Gaza. Enforced evacuation in these circumstances would put the lives of hundreds of patients in a life-threatening situation. Moving a baby on life support would be hazardous in a high-income country. Doing so in Gaza would gravely endanger a child whose life has only just begun. And who knows nothing of this conflict, nor is responsible for it. But move south. The Israelis have told uh, the Palestinians if they want to avoid the bombardment. But many are asking, realistically, where are they to go? Demanding this patient's move puts them and the health workers in an impossible situation. And in most cases, they have nowhere to go. I send my appreciation to health workers in both Gaza and Israel who are dealing with the consequences of this conflict. The best way to support those health workers and the people they serve is to strengthen the existing health system by resupplying the hospitals and ensuring their security. And as you know, some aid is now getting into Gaza. In the past two weeks, WHO has been able to deliver 54 metric tons of humanitarian supplies to Gaza. But this does not even begin to address the scale of need. 
far more is needed than can be delivered with a deep feed of aid, with a drip feed of aid. Before the 7th of October, an average of 500 trucks a day were crossing into Gaza with essential supplies. Since the 7th of October, only 217 trucks have entered in total. To sustain the humanitarian response on the scale needed, we need hundreds of trucks to enter Gaza every day. It is, of course, too late to help almost 9,000 Palestinians who have been killed in Gaza. As said earlier, almost 4,000 of the dead are children. It's too late to help the dead now. But we can help the living. We can help those who live every moment in fear. We can help injured civilians. We can help the almost 200 women who are expected to deliver babies every day. We can help children and older people. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We can help those with life-threatening diseases who need urgent medical care. WHO will do everything we can to ensure that all people in Gaza have access to life-saving health and humanitarian services. In the current situation, this is almost impossible. The World Health Organization is calling for a pause to the hostilities. At the very least, we need a humanitarian pause in the fighting and ideally, a ceasefire. We need unfettered access and safe passage agreed by both parties to ensure the security of access routes. Let me be clear. There can be no justification for Hamas's horrific attacks on Israel. I understand the grief, the anger, and the fear of the Israeli people. I also understand the grief, the anger, and the fear of the Palestinian people. 
WHO continues to call on Hamas to release the hostages it took, many of whom need urgent medical attention. We continue to call on Israel to restore supplies of electricity, water, and fuel. We continue to call on both sides to abide by their obligations under international humanitarian law. And we call on who can, to, who can de-escalate this conflict rather than inflame it. Indeed. I'm sure most people would echo that particular sentiment. The late Kofi Annan said that suffering anywhere concerns people everywhere. The suffering of civilians in the occupied Palestinian territory Israel and Sudan, and in so many other crises, must concern all of us. WHO is doing everything it can to alleviate suffering in all of these places. But in each case, the ultimate solution is one thing we can't provide. Peace. Let's all hope for peace. Uh, that's uh, Dr. Tedros Adhanem Ghebreyesus, uh, the Director General of the World Health Organization. Now, there's been uh, a change of policy from uh, the White House uh, with President Biden now calling for a pause or pauses in the hostilities to allow humanitarian aid into Gaza. We'll be speaking to Larry Donnelly uh, about the thinking behind that and why this change has come a- about on a-, a day that sees uh, the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, arrive once again in the region on another diplomatic issue or mission, I beg your pardon. Uh, let me bring you some more of uh, the comments coming to us. Many thanks uh, to Mary in Trim, uh, who says, Michael, the people of Ireland always stand by the farmers of Ireland now. Let them stand by us. If the North-South interconnector goes ahead, their families and the people of Ireland will pay huge prices for electricity. This money that uh, they're handing out has to be uh, got back somehow and we're the ones who will pay for it. It's like gas being put into states. The prices are good at the start, then the price happens uh, to rise. People are caught uh, as a result of this. So thank you indeed, Mary and Trim. I think the objective of the North-South interconnector, uh, Airgrid will tell you, is that uh, it'll uh, give security of supply, but it'll also stop prices from going up. Uh, So uh, I think that point may be argued, Mary, but thank you, as I say, uh, for your text. uh, Another text uh, from somebody who calls themselves a Gibbstown gentleman. Uh, Hello there, Michael. Do the people of Gibbstown, Geltacht, think uh, that we're going to turn down €50,000 per pylon just because they don't look like the look of the pylons? Uh, The most important thing is the upgrade of uh, the electricity network for now and the future. Money talks in this day and age, as I say, that's signed a Gibbstown gentleman. Uh, Some more comments uh, coming to us uh, about this. Uh, Teresa Ward again saying, money is a fleeting thing. Health, land, heritage, beauty are are the things that are important. Farmers are not fickle. They will not leave a terrible legacy 
to their future generations, says Teresa in her latest message. And thank you indeed for that. Somebody else, this is Rose, actually, who sent us a WhatsApp message. And she says about 30 years ago, we were in Holland and all of the ESB wires were put underground. No overhead lines were allowed. They were so advanced. Thanks uh, for uh, that, uh, Rose. Uh, and I think you're starting an argument that's been going on for 20 years, that underground-overground argument. Uh, and uh, it's gone back and forth with uh, both sides saying um, one is better than the other and Airgrid saying it's not viable to go underground. Uh, but that argument uh, still holds against it, as we've heard many times from Porik and others on the programme. Look, if you've been in touch, great to hear from you. If you've not been in touch and you'd like to make comment on the programme, we'd love to hear from you. Our phone number, 041-983-2000. Text or WhatsApp, 086-1800-658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. There's 252 people who are in hospital taking up hospital beds, but they don't need hospital care. Uh, What they need is to be transferred to a nursing home. They're waiting on a place in a nursing home. But as a result of them being in hospital, the hospitals are under a lot of pressure. And indeed, that's realised by the number of people who are in emergency departments that have been admitted to hospital but can't get a bed. They can't get a bed, so they're on trolleys. And we're all aware of how bad the trolley situation is. So what is a cash-strapped HSE going to do going into the next year? Well, a directive has come, uh, according to the Irish Independent this week, from the HSE CEO, Bernard Gloucester, along with the Chief Clinical Officer, Colin Henry, and that is to move each of the 252 patients who are in hospital waiting for a place in a nursing home to be moved out of the hospital into the next available nursing home. As a nursing home place comes available, somebody is to be moved out of hospital and into that nursing home. It has caused some concern. Let's uh, speak to Sue Shaw, who's uh, the CEO of the Irish Senior Citizens Parliament. Good morning to you, Sue. Thanks, as always, for joining us on the programme. This is a a directive uh, from the top management. Uh, Assume it's going to happen. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, good morning um, to you and your listeners. Uh, what are my thoughts on it? I suppose initially heartbreak for the people who are listening to this, who are one of those people sitting in the bed waiting to be moved to their first point of care, that their first choice is not that how they must be feeling at the moment. I think that must be absolutely awful. And to the people in the A&E system who are sitting there waiting for a bed, I just think that they are the people who are suffering from a lack of planning within this government. Between a power play between the Department of Health and the HSE around the cut budget, at the end of the day, you can't place the rights of one set of people against the rights of another. And for me, that's where this lies. I think it is an ageist policy. I do think it's going to be met with quite a lot of resistance. But for me, all of this, The government has committed across the board on the national stage to saying they will ensure older people will age with dignity in this country. Where is the dignity in being told, pack your bag, you're moving now, you'll go where we're telling you to go. I think the stress 
on the individual person must be really hard because if you're being moved, I mean, I know Drahada well, so if you're there saying to you, well, we can't accommodate you in County Loud, but we will accommodate you not too far down the road into Dublin. There's facilities available in the north side of Dublin. To somebody living in Dundalk or RD, where the good is that? Who's going to come and visit them? How are they going to see friends? And how is a wife or a husband so, going to see each other? Absolutely. And for me, the stress of that for an older person, it's short-term thinking, the health impact. We saw bad decisions made at the very mm. outset of COVID. And the biggest sufferers for that were older people. Uh, and you're talking, about, you're, you're talking about an age group uh, where quite a, a lot of people have uh, stopped driving or are driving yeah. just uh, in, in the local community, not going far, or may have never driven, yeah. I suppose. Uh, and yeah. getting a, a bus and all of that sort of thing uh, is just not plausible. No, it's not. And I think, but also for family, like if, if you're working and your mom is in, or your dad or your uncle, or who, it, do you know what I mean? Depending yeah. on, on who, if you're the, the person that's responsible. That, that journey after work, Daniel and I, we all know the M5 the, the M1 on the way into Dublin in the evening and heading out in this in the at that time in the in the morning and in the evening it's chocolate so if you are driving getting to see your family becomes a nightmare mm. i also think that if i was the person and like i'm of this age cohort now i would imagine that if i was sitting in the bed and listening to these discussions on your program and on other radio stations that i'd be thinking to myself if i give up if i say yes i move because I do feel bad about the person down in A&E. I know what it was like when I was admitted and I didn't like it. But if I give, if I give that and I move to this place in the north side of Dublin, well, my fear would be that when it comes to my place of choice, that when they look, we have three people waiting for a bed. One is already in a nursing home. One isn't. And my, I get further down the list. And I don't think that's been thought through. The fear that that will engender in people. Mm. Like we're talking about people moving to what may be their long-term home. On top of that, the the step-down care that was promised. Like I was looking at stats that Age Action put out yesterday, I think it was, on the reality of we have 60 to 70% of people not able to get hours in Cork and Kerry. So because Mm. our carers are aging, they are moving into retirement and we don't have anybody to step into place mm. so while there's not an embargo on hiring them but there is a reality that there is bad planning around it yeah. and I just think it's it's making I think it was Nat O'Connor said you're robbing Peter to pay Paul okay. it's a very short term vision mm. both not, of the, mm. the areas are strapped Nat, Nat O'Connor age action day, yeah I mean I think something like that is a, a measure of us as a society and I don't think that we fair very well based on what you've just said uh, and without casting aspersions on any of uh, the nursing homes I think an awful lot of people have uh, their own opinions on different nursing homes you awful, often hear people say oh I heard awful things about that place uh, and as a result of this directive uh, they could end up in that place that they've heard horrible things about or, or, or their uh, spouse could end up in that place that they've heard horrible things about and they don't want to go there. Uh, and make no mistake, they are going to pay handsomely for it. Absolutely. But I also think it isn't that it's not just hearsay. Wouldn't I wish it was? The reality is that we have enough reports into some facilities that clearly show that they're not meeting the standard. 
Do you know what I mean? Mm. I was looking at a recent report and going through and thinking, wow. Now, I don't want to cite any of those because HICWA are dealing with that. They'll come in. But yeah. if you're the one that's being moved to that facility, but it's just, it's the lack mm. of thought about the impact of these statements. And I think for a lot of our members, because I rang around when I when you contacted me and said, what do you think of it? And really what, what struck me and what was really most upsetting was what what would you expect if this government is so far out of touch as to what it is to live on a state pension, being moved about, they have no respect for older people. It's back to that call that we have now, along with a range of other, the Age Alliance, mm. is that we need a commissioner for older people, an independent yeah. person that can stand outside of government decisions and double check them. And this this is a bad decision. It's interesting what you said about HICWA inspecting nursing homes, uh, because uh, I, I think it's worth looking at the reports. I know a lot of families, uh, yeah. when they're trying to select which place, yeah. place is most suitable for such an important person who uh, is not well, who's not capable of living at home, who's spent all of their life in this country working, paying their taxes, uh, being a good member of society, being a good dad or mother or whatever the case may be. They're very, very important people and they should be treated like VIPs. Uh, And that before you decide, because most of the time that decision is being made for them by a member of the family and before you decide on their behalf where they're going to end up living and quite possibly where they're going to end up dying, uh, that you do as much as possible to make sure that it is the best thing possible for that person. Uh, and as I say, a lot of people look at those HICWA reports and they veer away from places that have Absolutely. negative things yeah. said about them. I mean, I think we, we tend to forget that when somebody moves to a nursing home, it becomes that word home. It becomes your home. So I have a right to choose my home. I have a right to choose alongside my family who are going to have to get to that place. I think I, those rights to choose have been taken away now. And I do, I do hear very clearly the argument on the other side. That's wrong, too. I'm not, I'm not saying that we need... Mm. But the solutions we're coming up with mean, like, it, we're choosing, we're making people choose in a very difficult situation. The government, mm. through sheer lack of planning for an ageing population, we had a national positive ageing strategy, they never put into care, mm. never put into place. We have a, a declaration on the Madrid Action on Ageing where our government stood up clearly and committed strongly to it. It, it signed up to ageing with dignity. Mm. Come on, this is not dignity. There, there, there is another side to it, though, so uh, I think uh, to be realistic about it, which is that people have an awful fear of nursing homes and they'll, and they'll do anything in their power to stop somebody being put into a nursing home or putting somebody into a nursing home themselves, as the case may be, and they'll delay it for as long as possible. And maybe that's why there's so many people who are in hospital. And that's not just this week. That's the case for years that you'd have 250 people in hospital who've been clinically discharged and should uh, move to a nursing home. But uh, loved ones don't want it to happen and they're delaying it as much as they can. Is that something that could be addressed in a different way than this? Absolutely. And I do think, as you said, this is not a today problem. We've had this going back for years. If you think about how older people got labelled as bed blockers. I mean, where did that come from? That's such an awful term. But at the end of the day, this government has known about it. We talked, the majority of older people want to age in place, which is they want to age in their area. 
we talk about putting, we talk the big talk about putting systems into place. And I'm not saying that there aren't some systems in place and in some areas that work well. But the reality is we do not have home support for people to move back into their home instead of going to what they see as the dreaded nursing home. It's just not there. And again, that's down to a lack of planning. We have finally addressed the lack of proper salaries for carers. But at the end of the day, we can't get carers now. Mm. During COVID, people just left in their droves and we're not replacing them. We also have the majority of carers are coming up to retirement. And we have no way of replacing that either. I do think that the government needed to think outside the box before this. And now what we have is a a disaster, I think. Healthcare is in crisis, we all know that. But to watch the most vulnerable of our society. I think I said at the outset... Pay the uh, price for it. Sorry, Sue, for cutting gross. Yeah, I think I said at the outset that um, I read about this in the Irish Independent, as I'm sure you did as well, Sue. Uh, And Mm -hmm. it's a a directive uh, from the HSE top management, uh, Mm -hmm. according to the paper. But this has gone pretty much under the radar, really, this week. Uh, I'm not sure if that's because of the midterm. But when the doll resumes next week, uh, I presume you'll be be asking politicians to raise this as an issue with the government. Absolutely, yes. We will, indeed. We're already seeking parliamentary questions on it. So, But it, 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 they need to come soon and ease the stress on people. Like the whole point of your acute care being met and then people step down into uh, facilities. If you're in a facility that is far away from your family, that your friends can't visit, that the grandkids can't come after school, the bottom line here is that that damages your health. You're going to end up not being well again. And I just think that's not being thought about. It's a short-term measure of sticking plaster. So, yes, we will be raising it very strongly. But not only that, Michael, I would be saying people need to raise it with their own TDs. It's like the bottom line, the biggest power local people have is that vote, and we're coming up to local elections and elections next year or early 25. And I think people need to be writing to their TDs saying, I disagree with this decision. Can you please raise this within your party? I think that's the power of individuals. We can do that. Susan, thank you very much, as always, for joining me on the programme. Much appreciated. YouTube, Sue Shaw, CEO of the Irish Senior Citizens Parliament. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Today, uh, thanks to concerted American leadership, we're in a situation where safe passage for wounded Palestinians and foreign nationals to exit Gaza has started. American citizens are able to exit today as part of the first group of probably over a thousand, we'll see more of this process going on in the coming days. Working nonstop to get Americans out of Gaza as soon and as safely as possible. This is the result of intense and urgent American diplomacy with our partners in the region. I personally spent a lot of time speaking with the Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel and the President Sisi of Egypt and others to make sure that we could open this access for people to get out. The American President Joe Biden speaking in Minnesota on Wednesday. Now, while the President was claiming credit for a lot of success, if you like, in the Middle East, not everybody would have agreed that enough has been done on the American side. That certainly was the view of a rabbi who attended this speech and made her views 
very much known to President Biden. As you probably know, Joe Biden, the American president, responded to that heckler, the rabbi, by saying, yes, he believes that there should be a pause in the hostilities in Gaza. Let's speak uh, to Larry Donnelly, who's a law lecturer at NUI Galway and indeed a political columnist with uh, the journal.ie. Thanks for joining us uh, this morning as always, Larry. Pretty dramatic stuff there, the way the president was interrupted by that rabbi, wasn't it? It certainly was. And look, this is reflected in how the White House is dealing behind the scenes uh, with Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, that is, they know that they this, uh, you know, what's going on right now uh, in the eyes of many people uh, in the United States, but more more importantly, I suppose, in many people around the world, uh, what they're seeing unfold uh, in Gaza is increasingly distressing uh, and is un- untenable uh, in the longer term. Uh, and I think behind the scenes, again, President Biden and others uh, are putting pressure on Benjamin Netanyahu. So um, mm. publicly, as of now, we're hearing talk of uh, a pause to allow for humanitarian aid uh, to come in, for hostages to be released, uh, and that sort of thing. But I think uh, increasingly, uh, you know, behind closed doors, the idea is we need a ceasefire here, uh, and we need one quickly. And again, given the human carnage and the, the reality that uh, Gaza seems to be being raised to the ground, um, that's just not going to be tenable in the eyes of the world any longer. I think there was some surprise at uh, the president's comments, uh, because up to this point, he'd been supporting Israel and Israel's right to defend itself. And I think many people, uh, like the Taoiseach today, said, where's uh, the point where you go from uh, defending yourself uh, into revenge, uh, and maybe we'll talk about the Taoiseach's comments in a moment, uh, but uh, it wasn't expected, I don't think, that President Biden would call for a pause. I'm not sure, but I imagine the rabbi probably was as surprised as everybody else. Do you think, though, that he was talking uh, on the hoof, or uh, do you think that they were considered comments? I'm not sure if they were considered comments, but I do think they reflect, again, what's been going on behind the scenes. Uh, the reality, and you know, listeners will be familiar with this, the reality is that the Israel-Palestine conflict uh, is seen very differently in the United States. Uh, Americans tend to be uh, instinctively pro-Israel, uh, and indeed that sentiment is still felt uh, fairly broadly there. And that's part of the reason why, uh, you know, President Biden and Secretary of State Blinken uh, and other leaders, I suppose, in both parties have been so resolutely uh, with Israel to uh, an extent that uh, most of the rest of the Western world uh, find really discomforting and unreasonable indeed. Uh, So that's where things are coming from. But, uh, you know, the converse reality is that uh, you know, the, the extent of the damage, the extent uh, of the lives uh, now lost, uh, including I think President Biden was particularly bothered uh, by the bombing of that refugee uh, camp in northern Gaza. Uh, all of these things really, uh, you know, they're crimes against humanity. Whatever about war crimes, they are crimes against humanity. Uh, and what Biden and others are saying to Israel behind the scenes is, look, 
We understand uh, the horrific, barbaric attack uh, on October 7th, uh, and, you know, and, and we understand that you are going to take measures uh, to respond uh, and to defend yourselves. But what's happening increasingly uh, is perceived to be grossly disproportionate. Uh, and that's, I think, the stage uh, we're at. And I suppose mm. at one level, President Biden just couldn't hide it anymore. Well, is that the case or was it a, an error of judgment uh, giving unequivocal support to Israel in the first place. America and American diplomacy is hugely important, undoubtedly, in this. Uh, And uh, I don't know if the president's comments were considered or otherwise, but the timing was perfect with the arrival of Anthony Blinken in Israel this morning. Uh, But uh, we are talking about a a situation where, I I think in his speech in Minnesota, the president was taking credit for improving a situation that could have been a whole lot worse, claiming that uh, his diplomacy and behind-the-scenes effort had led to uh, Israel allowing humanitarian aid in and uh, that uh, the ground offensive uh, was delayed because of American interference. But still and all, we have almost 9,000 people who are dead and almost 4,000 of those who are children in Gaza alone. Yeah, I mean, things have reached an extraordinary and, uh, you know, unprecedented, you know, dangerous uh, and horrific uh, level at this stage. But drawing back to something you said at the beginning, uh, were uh, President Biden's, uh, you know, was his full-throated support for Israel uh, a mistake in the in the beginning, uh, or was that an error in judgment? Um, it may have been an error in judgment, you know, at an objective moral level. Uh, it certainly was not an error in judgment uh, at a political level. Politically, it was quite deliberate. Uh, and again, that's because of how uh, this, you know, conflict is framed and is perceived uh, in the eyes of the American people. And, and of course, this is crucial uh, going into uh, an election year. So President Biden was, you know, there was no mistake that was very definitely deliberate, uh, that four square full stance uh, behind Israel uh, at the outset. And I think this actually marks something uh, of a turning point uh, in terms of America's posturing uh, towards Israel uh, and challenging uh, its actions, because historically, uh, the United States has been quite deferential uh, to Israel. Uh, and that's partly for domestic political considerations, uh, partly because the United States perceives Israel to be uh, a sole, the sole ally, the sole democracy uh, in a region that, you know, for, from its point of view, uh, is deeply, deeply troubled. Um, so things have moved quite dramatically. Mm. Uh, and again, uh, you know, where we are now is the United States, even though, you know, the vast majority of of the Palestinians and indeed the Arab world more broadly uh, views the United States as the enemy, almost a co-enemy uh, alongside Israel. Um, the reality is the United States is moved to a place where, quite frankly, uh, I didn't think it would move so swiftly. Uh, and I do think it's down to, uh, as you've alluded to, uh, the loss, the horrific uh, loss of life and the fact that the response clearly at this stage Uh, has been grossly disproportionate. And when you talk about uh, domestic realities, is it possible for anyone to become the president of the United States, do you think, Larry, without the Jewish vote? Um, You know, is is it possible, you know, perhaps numerically, but uh, the reality is 
uh, you know, hardline is in terms of uh, Israel. The American Israel Political Action Committee uh, is a is an extremely influential uh, and powerful lobby group in the United States. Uh, and again, it's one of those things that transcends ideology. It's very powerful, both in Democratic circles uh, and in Republican circles. One, two things are worth noting, however, in this regard uh, that cut against each other to an extent. One is that uh, among the left of the Democratic Party, and in particular uh, among younger left, left-wing people uh, on the Democratic Party, the reflexive pro-Israel attitude that America would have long had uh, is not shared to anywhere near the same extent. So Biden is getting some pressure from the left flank uh, of his party, who would be more minded towards uh, the Palestinians. Uh, on the flip side, and I suppose this is more a Republican consideration uh, than anything, is that uh, whatever about Jewish Americans, uh, evangelical Christians who are a vital constituency within the Republican Party, uh, they are perhaps even more uh, rapidly pro-Israel because of their biblical uh, beliefs about uh, Israel. Uh, And they are very much dedicated to uh, America's ongoing aid to secure Israel uh, for the Jewish people. Uh, And we see that, for instance, with a package that has been voted on by the House of Representatives, which has cut out uh, the the, the portion of aid that Biden has uh, proposed for Ukraine, but instead uh, has ensured $14 billion of aid uh, to Israel to defend itself. Now, the House has currently approved that. It will go to the Senate, where evidently uh, it's going to die, and President Biden is going to veto uh, the aid package. But I think that's indicative of just how much support on the political right in the United States there remains for Israel. All right. As a a seasoned uh, political analyst, Larry Donnelly, can I I conclude by asking you uh, what you believe is going to happen in the coming days? Are you expecting this pause? Uh, We know uh, that the United Nations is looking for a a ceasefire. The American president, Joe Biden, has called for a a pause now. Uh, That's echoed by the World Health Organization. Anthony Blinken is in Israel today. And can I ask you uh, if uh, the comments made by the Taoiseach Leo Radker about Israeli revenge will have any influence on any of that? I'm not so sure that that the Taoiseach's comments in and of themselves will have uh, a huge amount of influence. I do think, however, as part of what is emerging as a global or at least a Western response uh, to what's happening, I do think that they are extremely powerful. Uh, I do think that the Biden administration is more likely to take those uh, on board than, for instance, a Trump administration would be. So I do think that they're quite significant. I do think that uh, Tony Blinken, who I think has been, uh, you know, played uh, diplomatically, has been very, very strong in all of this. Uh, I do think that that will be a big part uh, of his messaging when he talks to Netanyahu uh, and others. But as for where this goes, uh, my guess is that we're a long ways off a ceasefire. I don't think there's an appetite for a ceasefire at this at this stage on either side, either you know with Hamas uh, or with Israel. But do I think that there's a likelihood of some sort uh, of temporary pause or, or cessation uh, in um, in the, in bombing, et cetera? I do think that that is quite possible. 
All right, Larry, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed, as always, for joining us on the programme today. Larry Donnelly, law lecturer at the University of Galway and a political columnist with the journal .ie. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Let me bring you some more of uh, the comments that have come to us uh, today and thanks to Margaret, uh, as always, uh, a regular texter to the programme who says, Michael, can you tell me as an ordinary Joe Soap, what is RTE up to that the Public Accounts Committee are demanding some document? Can you explain it, please? Well, I think uh, the Public Accounts Committee are looking for documents to explain what they were up to uh, that can prove what they were and weren't up to. Uh, I was reading this morning, Margaret, uh, I think you'd be very interested in, in this, that they've spent uh, a holy fortune, €500,000 on these reports. Uh, and I think there'll be questions about that in the next week uh, as well. Uh, Margaret goes on to say, also, Michael, I, I don't have much desire to listen to RTE radio or otherwise. Only certain presenters like those who I believe aren't on huge books, ordinary folks like those who work for local radio, LMFM, etc. Well, that's a huge compliment, I take it, uh, for the staff uh, of LMFM. Uh, and thank you indeed very much uh, from all of us ordinary folks here, Margaret, because you're keeping us in a job. Uh, and we really do appreciate that. Deirdre and Kells was in touch with us this morning as well. Another regular texter who says uh, people don't like to go into nursing homes. They prefer to live at home when it's possible. Philip in Gibbstown says undergrounding the north-south interconnector is a viable alternative as shown in Airgrid's embrace of that option in the recent Meath Kildare upgrade. Time to go back to the drawing board and keep the 30 pieces of silver. I take it that's the €50,000 per pylon uh, that uh, Philip is referring to as uh, the 30 pieces of silver. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks too to Tom who says, Iran said last night they're on their way. If Israel doesn't stop, the world should listen and listen soon. Iran will bring a war, a war that the world does not want. And Tom wonders, will Russia follow? Frightening prospect. Thanks indeed, Tom. As I say, now, earlier on, we heard from the Director General of the World Health Organization. Let's hear from the Irish member of the Executive Board about the situation in Gaza and how difficult it is for the World Health Organization. This is Dr. Mike Ryan. The best and most effective and most rapid way to save lives is to support the existing system. Rick laid out the numbers to you there. The, the doctors, the nurses, the pharmacists, the technicians, uh, the porters and everybody else within that system have done remarkable work over the last three weeks. They have saved countless lives. They want to continue doing that. The facilities are there, machinery is there, the beds are there, the operating theatres are there. It is the responsibility of all parties to the conflict to allow those hospitals to be resupplied. To it, the, the, the international law is clear on this. It's not just about not attacking facilities, it's about protecting facilities and occupying authorities have a special responsibility to ensure that such facilities are not only protected but serviced and supplied with the adequate needs for the populations that they serve. Um, The issue of uh, EMTs coming in in field hospitals, the best and most effective way to introduce an EMT or a field hospital is to bring it in an association with an existing facility where it adds to the number of beds. It adds specialist capability. It allows exhausted surgeons and others to rest 
while others take on the role. Putting field hospitals far away from population centres, uh, unsupported by the local infrastructure, is not the best way. It takes a long time. And secondly, right now, we have no deconfliction effectively operating. There is no humanitarian access. And anyone out there that says we've got humanitarian access, uh, uh, it, it is not true. Our supplies are being delivered in a way that I haven't seen uh, in the past. It has been almost impossible to set up appropriate notification, acknowledgement and, and deconfliction measures in this particular conflict. So getting trucks over the border is one thing. Getting them to the places in which they are needed is another. And that has not been facilitated. That has not been supported. In fact, if anything, quite the opposite. So there is a huge gap between the rhetoric of some and the actual reality for our health workers on the ground and our staff on the ground. That needs to change because, uh, quite frankly, I'm sick of hearing all of these reassurances that don't actually exist on the ground for the people we work with. Our staff are operating under duress at the risk of their lives to help ordinary civilians working in and, and bringing supplies to hospitals. How are we going to bring in field hospitals with further international workers whom we can't even guarantee the basic safety of the staff we have on the ground now? This is unconscionable. This is unthinkable. And I've operated in many, many, many different crises in my time, many different situations. And we have never found it as difficult, never found it as difficult to establish the basic rules of engagement that would allow us to act in a proper humanitarian fashion with minimum guarantees of safety to our staff and to our partners. So the rules of this have got to change. If the international community want WHO and others to bring international staff at international field hospitals into Gaza, they must be able to guarantee their safety and the occupying power must do likewise. There is no other way to do this. But as Rick said, the best way to do this is to support the existing system. But we will not be instrumentalized in this. We will not become a party to this. We are doctors, we are nurses, we are pharmacists, we are lab technicians, we are porters, we are drivers. Our job is to save lives, that is our only job. Dr. Mike Ryan of uh, the World Health Organization. Maggie McGuire researched today. Chris Murray was in the control chair. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.